1: To find us here,
0: Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number two seventy-six. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online at AgDirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at AgDirect.com. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is specifically sponsored by the people at Ag Direct who bring me the good fella named Tanner Key with his amazing Kansas State t-shirt or polo shirt on, which he doesn't like a good K-State polo, right?
2: No, I, I never uh, sell myself out to K-State ever. My entire office is purple, Casey.
0: Yeah, email, right? There you go. So. No, I
2: man a wildcat. <laughs>
0: right on, buddy. Well, Tanner Key is with CoBank. He comes on once a month to talk to us about what's happening um, in in from an economic standpoint out there, and Tanner, uh, it's, it's an awesome honor to have you come on here because you, you have a, a wealth of information and your job is to uh, really, really just to kind of see and speculate what's going to happen in the future and I don't envy you right now because you have, uh, there's so many black swans out there and they could just pop up at any time that, that uh, uh, it seems to be hard right now. So I guess talk a little bit about what you're seeing happening right now and, and kind of what you're up to these days.
2: Yeah, we're a little tired of the black swans. We can do without those now.
0: We're, <laughs> yeah. we're, good. we're good. Open, <laughs> open season, right, On the black swans. So.
2: <laughs> that's not going to stop happening. Yeah. Because, uh, with all the geopolitical stuff going on, and now uh, Nancy Pelosi having landed in Taiwan, yeah. and the Chinese are have retaliated. You don't know where it's going to go next. Right. All it takes is uh, one person losing their cool, and things can uh, unwind pretty quickly. Yep, and so you know it's one of those uh, world situations where you try to uh, keep your eye on as on, on as many of these things as you can, because they all interrelate in one way or another. Whether you're talking about Russia and Ukraine. Well, that relates to uh, China and Taiwan, and that relates to trade and our exports into China. That relates to our trade relationships across uh, Asia and Southeast Asia. And then you have drought. Uh, That's tightening the world balance sheet um, in the U.S., or especially in the U.S., but we're tight on agricultural commodities around the world that's causing inflation and or that has caused inflation and it doesn't look like we're going to be really out of the woods on the tight commodity situation uh, going forward at least into 2023 so that raises the stakes for everybody because everyone around the world is tense as you can as you we've talked about before in sri lanka and places like that um and you're seeing similar uh things around the world where when you raise the price of food and energy uh, people get tense, yeah, and so that just kind of adds more fuel to the fire geopolitically. So all of this stuff gets wrapped up into one ball of uh, of uncertainty, mm-hmm. and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. It just kind of seems to snowball, you know. Yep. So today, this is a fun time to be a prognosticator. There's <laughs> a lot to prognosticate.
0: <laughs> yes, there is. There's plenty to look at. All right. So let's let's start with you know the low hanging fruit here. Everyone's concerned about this uh, interest rate situation that we see right now, and where that's going from. Um, two different camps. One is the mid, you know, that late fall um, time frame to start seeing some some relief here. Maybe see a peak and then start tapering off, and then you see some folks that are, you know, this is the one that's going to do the United States in. So I guess as you two very polarizing, opposite, you know, camps here that you that you listen to. As you've done your research and as you've looked around, what are your thoughts there? Especially when you start looking at supply chain, because that's what's driving this. You know, we got supply chain issues that are that are really doing that. We're pumping a lot of money into the world's economies, I guess. So as you as you're looking at this, what's your thoughts
2: on all this? Well, it's those two things right there. It's the supply chain issues, and then it's uh, the money supply.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, we still got a lot of money out there sloshing around in the economy sure. and the Federal Reserve. Uh, I think is aware they're the main reason for why we've got inflation at 40 year highs. And so, um, you know, they've obviously done away with the whole transitory talk. They stopped doing that uh, a long time ago about how inflation is transitory. The last numbers that were printed was that were uh, about eight and a half on the CPI. And that was for July. And that's that's moving in the right direction. It's not 9.1 like it was the previous month. And so, but it's still high. I mean, it's that the Fed is still going to be motivated to stop this, because they have to uh, convince the market that they're serious. Uh, The Fed's credibility is at stake. That's probably the number one thing that keeps uh, Jay Powell awake at night, is do people believe that the Federal Reserve is a credible institution, that they take this seriously? Uh, The whole reason for that uh, concern over credibility is what you call the wage price spiral. Because if consumers and businesses believe that the Fed can't or won't be able to stop inflation, meaning either they don't have the resolve or they don't have the tools to do it, what they start doing then is bidding higher on goods and services and workers. Uh, in anticipation, in anticipation of those prices going up later on,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? You buy now at a higher price, and a, and what do you do if, you're, if you become, if consumers start becoming more aggressive in their purchasing habits in anticipation of higher prices later on? What happens? Prices go up. Sure. It's a self-fulfilling sure. prop- prophecy. They're afraid of prices going up, and so they bid prices higher uh, and make prices go up, and then the same thing with uh, businesses, uh, and then they bid. Uh, uh, labor higher, mm-hmm. and then they pass those costs on to consumers through uh, higher uh, prices for their goods and services. But if the Fed can su- uh, successfully convince the consumers and convince businesses that they've got this under control, that they are absolutely serious about stopping this, then that cools off that, uh, that desire to bid higher, right? Uh, or to stockpile, or, or to to buy now, and you can del- delay. And instead of buying now, you can delay those purchases to later. Uh, or if you're a business, then you don't have to go chase employee, uh, employees right now. Uh, you can spread your hiring out later on. And so, um, that's what's at stake for the Fed right now. And uh, I think if the Federal Reserve, and this is what from what I hear from other economists, if the Federal Reserve is going to uh, back off on their pace of raising interest rates. They're going to need to see uh, a trend, a successive trend of several months of prices coming down before they say, okay, we'll take our foot off the Mm brake and uh, we won't be so aggressive on interest rate increases. Uh, So one month of uh, going from uh, 9.1 to 8.5, that's not convincing, I don't think. Uh, the Federal Reserve is still scared. Yeah. And so I bet you more than ever uh, they're going to be motivated uh, in September to give it another 75-point uh, increase and, and probably keep doing that uh, until they really see evidence that prices are coming down because they cannot hint uh, whatsoever to the economy that they're not taking this seriously. That's their number one job is inflation. And Jay Powell has has repeated that repeatedly said that. Uh, It's his number one uh, concern. And for those reasons, he's got to get in front of this because if the market doesn't believe him, uh, inflation can get out of control. Right. Okay. Let's talk about Europe for just a little bit here. So
0: you have a – it's starting to make its way in the news. It's been around for a while, but it's really starting to become a a very – a prolific story that you're starting to hear more about and that's this european drought that we see happening and the heat that we see the heat waves and stuff that they're going through um in that area um you've got still germany's kind of back and forth on uh we're going to take russian natural gas and, and oil and and refined products through the pipeline but then we're not and and uh, you know you're kind of him hawing around about it. that they're definitely leaning towards the natural gas out of it, then you start looking at the price of natural gas in Europe right now, I mean, you're looking at, it's whatever it is, eight bucks here in the United States, and it's, yeah. you know, $40 or something like that in Europe, you know, so it's, you got a big okay. deal there. So, I mean, looking at that, the European functions right now, right, with the exception of, like, Portugal and Spain um, that have gone out and, and started taking U.S. a long time ago, taking U.S., liquefied natural gas and those kind of things, I guess as you're looking at Europe right now, what do, you, what do you think about that and how that is, how is that going to affect the overall, you know, global marketplace, I guess?
2: Well, that's going to be arbitraged on natural gas, right, through uh, liquefied natural gas, right. LNG. And, uh, of course, natural gas is what we use to make fertilizer. Right. And so um, the, the, the drop in fertilizer prices we've seen here in the U.S. is a positive, but how long can be sustained? Um you know, when we enter into these colder months uh, later in the year, um, I would imagine uh, the Europeans are not going to like being cold, right? And so if they don't problem. have the uh, uh, if they don't have the the natural gas uh, there uh, to heat their homes, and if they're not going to be getting it from Russia, they're going to get it from the U.S., which is a bargain, uh, as you as you noted there, mm-hmm. Casey. And so we're going to be uh, sending more, we're going to be exporting more uh, natural gas in the form of LNG over to Europe, and that's going to be tightening tightening our supplies here, and that's going to be lifting our natural gas prices, and that's going to be lifting fertilizer prices. So, um, you know, that, I mean, those that would be the logical procession of events. I mean, I don't know. I'm not an energy analyst, or a, we do have an energy analyst here at Co- uh, CoBank, very talented economist uh, Terry Vishwanath, and you know, she's got a lot of uh, she does a lot of work on that. And it doesn't seem to be like a, a, a bearish situation on the energy front, given what Europe is going through right now. And then you have the drought. Sure. Uh, you know, because of the drought, uh, the Europeans are going to be the biggest corn importer in the world uh, because they're not producing it right now. And so we're going to be uh, exporting more there. Um, and that's going to be tightening the world balance sheet even more. And so both stories for both food and, at, and at, or for uh, food and agriculture and for energy, um, it's hard to come up with a longer-term bearish scenario here. Mm-hmm. This is in context of the, of the last several weeks now we've seen prices come down uh, because speculative uh, hedge funds have been uh, selling or uh, have been uh, backing out of the long positions, their speculative long positions in commodities, uh, whereas commercial uh, traders have been uh, adding to their longs, I think, which is a telling sign and uh it sounds like uh we we probably we probably have to brace for more volatility going forward our uh, grains and oilseeds analyst uh, ken zuckerberg talked about this on sp platts about uh, uh in an interview there where he's forecasting quite a bit more volatility going forward and i i don't think there's anybody i, I certainly can't disagree with ken uh, i mean i think we've got for the last half of the year uh, a very volatile situation for both food and agriculture and I think uh, this drop in prices especially with like fertilizer prices uh, may be a short term issue or maybe short term mm-hmm. uh, I think we, we may very well have some higher prices, uh, significantly higher prices potentially later on
0: yeah. Okay, so as you're looking at the kind of this grand spectrum here I and mean, you got the stuff going on in Asia and, and the fertilizer is kind of something that's on top of my mind right now just because we still have to go through fall harvest and those kind of things yet, yeah, no. but this is kind of that time of year where guys start looking at looking at uh you know booking some inputs for next year and what's that look like and how the whole thing playing out um, that's why all these fertilizer questions I'm asking you right now, but oh, if, sure. if you're if you're looking at what's going on in Asia and you start looking at you know the the wheat to rice ratios and those kind of things and what the whole looks that whole thing plays out as the United States kind of transitions out of an El Nino to a La Nina um, phrase which then you know gives you know North and South America um, more chances for some more more wetter um, environments those kind of things and it typically gives Asia uh, a, a more of a dry climate in areas where we're already in a in a pretty hard hit area we had a quarterly a quarterly stock report came out today and Saw it there, and our carryouts are, are pretty much still at zero. You know, we don't, after you kind of factor everything in, they're still kind of there at zero. I guess as you're looking at countries like, you know, places in Asia, in in the uh, you know, the Pacific area where there's a lot of rice grown, and they're dependent heavily upon that as a food crop. I guess what are your thoughts there on that, and, and how do you how are you looking at that from a, a wheat perspective? I guess.
2: Yeah, you mentioned the wheat rice ratio that's yep. a that's a leading indicator of where mm-hmm. wheat or uh, rice is going to be going and uh if you look at the long-term trend um we bottom that historically low ratio um is below 1.5 on the ratio mm-hmm. uh the lowest has been in uh, more than a decade and then every time we do that it rallies back up uh because the the market shifts over to uh uh, u- utilizing more rice instead of wheat because rice is so cheap right. uh, compared to wheat. The Chinese have been doing that. Uh, they've been feeding a lot more uh, rice into their hog rations and mm-hmm. poultry rations because it's a cheap feed uh, relative to other grains. And so that is one of those things that's really tightening the balance sheet on a very important crop, uh, rice, that feeds billions of people, especially over in Asia, if you know. As you know, the the concern here is about what's going on in India. Uh, now, India has really been holding uh, the global food grain market together uh, with their uh, aggressive exports of both uh, well uh, aggressive exports of uh, rice mainly. They stopped exports of wheat right. yep. and of wheat flour, and that's what a lot of keep, uh, a lot of uh, countries were relying on. Uh, the wheat, or excuse me, the rice acreage in India, though has fallen 13 percent because of all the drought and heat that we mm-hmm. saw earlier this year during their planting season. So their acreage is down 13 percent. Now uh, they still have a lot of rice in the country, but if you look at what India has done in prior years, what they've done done recently with wheat and then back in 07, 08, uh, they, uh, they halted their rice exports. trying in an effort to keep uh, rice prices down, because it is uh, their main food grain in that country as well, like uh, much like China. And that's when uh, the world rice market um, really became extremely volatile, and you had consumers all over the world stockpiling rice. Uh, now when you have India, which is about 40 percent of the global rice trade, that's no small deal.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That is very important. It would be like the United States halting its corn export. You know, what would happen? Or right. Brazil halting its soybean exports. Right. So you, you take out the biggest player and you've got a problem. And right now that is the concern with, uh, with India uh, because uh, of inflation all, all over the world, but it has affected them as well. And so, you know, that is really the concern here about what may happen next. You've got the Chinese uh, utilizing rice at a very aggressive pace. You have a smaller crop in India. And it doesn't take too much for an Indian politician to do that math and say, you know what, we need to stop our rice exports, to heck with everybody else. we got to take care of our voters first. Right. And then you're in a very volatile situation there. You're going to have a lot of countries uh, that are going to have to go without. Those region was regions that would be most vulnerable would be in West Africa. That's the biggest uh, rice and wheat uh, combined importing region of the world. And then Southeast Asia, places like Philippines and Malaysia. Uh, those are the those are the regions that are the biggest importers of uh, of food grains, and you you take out uh, India and things are going to get pretty interesting in those those areas. Uh, would there be an opportunity there for the United States? Absolutely, um, but uh, I don't know. It would be pr- quite a volatile situation, yep. geopolitically as well.
0: Absolutely. All right. So taking a look, what's going on. Um, from a specialty crop because I know that's, that's what you that's your that's your primary focus here at CoBank is, dairy, is yeah. and dairy, dairy and, and specialty crops, dairy. Crops, yeah. so specialty crops and going to get you with some dairy questions here in a minute too so specialty <laughs> crops specialty <laughs> crops looking at that I mean from a, a rising cost of food um, those you know those vegetables and, and high value crops that you see out there have only gotten more expensive as you go to the grocery store and take a look to see what's going on around there how is that affecting what we see in some of these areas like like the southwest of the United States where that's a, a big part of their economy, northern Mexico, um, another big part of their, of their economy? As you look at those kind of places, how is that specialty crop holding up and and how are those economies that are supported by that holding up?
2: Well, if you look at uh, uh, imports, we've had record imports so far of fruits and vegetables in uh-huh. the U.S. and we've, we're just past the peak season. So, we're going we're gonna to be on track for record imports. Um, that's going to be stabilizing prices. Right. Uh, one of the reasons why we've had elevated prices at retail at the grocery store is because of the cost to get it there because of fuel prices. And so, uh, the, you know, the idea here is that longer term, as we struggle with the ground, we're going to be on this trend of more and more imports. And a lot of that is production that's moving to Mexico, it's moving to Chile, it's moving to Peru, uh, these other areas that don't struggle with the labor and water issues that we have out west. And you talked about La Nina earlier. Um, I need to look up on that. I, the latest forecast I, uh, I saw was that we are at elevated risk of La Nina persisting through the remainder of this year and into, uh, into 2023, which would be dry conditions again for the western half of the U.S. And we've got a very uh, tenuous situation with water uh, reservoirs uh, out in California and across the west being uh, depleted. And what happens uh, this new water year starting in October uh, is going to be critical for uh, what's going to happen going forward, because uh, you mentioned local economies. The drought has absolutely impacted local economies, there's a lot of fallowed fields around uh, the southwest and the western half of the U.S. and out in California. And what that means then is you're going to have to shut down the packing plant or the packing, the pack house or the mill. If you have a rice mill, for instance, you may have to idle the rice mill because you don't have enough rice to mill. Uh, So it it absolutely has impacted local economies. And, you know, if if we see this drought uh, persist for another year, We're going to continue to see elevated uh, uh, fruit, nut, and uh, vegetable prices, and uh, it's going to be elevating uh, rice prices. California is a big uh, grower of, uh, the main grower of medium grain rice. And so uh, you add all this together, and although fuel costs are coming down, and that's going to help take the edge off of uh, the price of produce delivered to the grocery store, you're still dealing with a situation where we're very tight on supply in the U.S., and uh, we're, we're, where we're uh, ultimately we're going to be relying more on imports uh, going forward. That's ultimately how that shakes out. If we can't grow it here in the U.S., we're going to have to go abroad to go get to go get it.
0: Right. All right. So now let's jump over. Talked about dairy a little bit. The price of dairy milk <clears throat> hovered around twenty five dollars for the better part of of twenty one and twenty two. Bouncing around a little bit, it's come down quite a bit. You know, we're we're kind of banging around the eighteen to twenty-two dollar range, mostly around the twenty dollar range though. If here of late, Um, my, I mean, obviously it's a different time now than it was, but typically rule, typical rule of thumb is if you're in that nineteen to twenty-one dollar range, you're doing pretty good. Don't know if that's the case today with costs that we see associated with fuel and everything else that go with that. So, looking at that dairy market. Where, where are some of your concerns lying right now? And then how do you see that, you know, long range looking into 23? I mean, how, how do you see that playing out?
2: Well, it's going to be a, a headwind for sure on uh, rebuilding the U.S. Uh, dairy herd. Uh, the last few uh, milk production reports, uh, or a lot, the latest one showed uh, an incremental increase. We still got a lot of headwinds here on feed prices, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of concern on not just corn but also hay. And uh, the price of hay is just astronomical across the plains yeah, in the, crazy. the west. Yeah. Uh, but it's also labor, uh, extremely tight, as it is everywhere. Yeah. But agriculture has always been on this as an issue of tight labor, but it's gotten really bad, especially uh, for production ag. And then um, I'd say one other thing that's holding dairy back is the lack of, uh, uh, of heifers. Uh, I mean, it's a very tight supply. And so it's hard to rebuild a herd when there's no heifers. Right. It's tough. <laughs> so yeah. uh, you kind of got to have them. Uh, yeah. So those, uh, then the cost of materials, if you're going to build a new barn, something like that, um, you know, your, your material costs of you know lumber and you know, stainless steel, things like that are still all ovated. So a lot of headwinds there uh, that are holding the, the herd from uh, recovering. And now you, now you take in this, uh, this, you know, the correction in uh, milk prices uh, that we've seen along with a lot of other commodity prices. We'll see how long that, long this lasts. Um, I mentioned volatility earlier. I think we're going to be in a period of extended voli- or elevated volatility uh, for quite some time uh, because milk prices follow very closely with corn prices. And if the action we saw in corn today was any indication where milk prices go, I think we're probably going to be... Uh, having more upside here we it appears as though we're the market is is chopping around there at the bottom uh trying to find the bottom in milk prices and i think you know going forward uh as we continue to see uh our competitors overseas with europe and new zealand struggling uh to rebuild their herds and uh, compete in the export market uh, that's sending export business to the u.s we've had record high uh dairy product exports uh, so far this year, and that's been holding, um, that's been uh, holding back our ability to build inventories on the dairy product exports, or ex- excuse me, dairy product, uh, inventories. My three-year-old daughter is coming here, uh, Casey, to check in on me. All right. Um, Get an extra guest and this time. it looks like she's going to go over to her, to her dollhouse. So it looks like we're safe. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, where was I? So we've got a ext- very strong export program going on for dairy. Just phenomenal, especially with cheese. Just mm-hmm. We're sending a lot of cheese down to Mexico. And so you got this dynamic here where dairy prices uh, and milk prices have come down, but we've got a very tight feed situation in the US. We're still very tight on, uh, on corn and hay. We've coupled with a very strong export market it's hard to come up with a bearish scenario there for dairy. Uh, I know prices have come back by quite a bit, and that's a frustrating uh, factor for grower or for uh, dairy farmers. But uh, given the fundamentals, uh, it, it's hard to come up with a, a bearish uh, forecast here where, where prices are going to be at the current levels for a sustained period. I, I, I would have to uh, argue that there's got to be some measure of recovery. Now, are we going to go back to the previous highs that we've seen before? I, I'm not sure about that. Uh, but I, I would anticipate for sure that we're going to see some measure of recovery on prices. Right on. Okay.
0: Well, we could talk for hours. I mean, there's there's a million different questions I want to ask here. And, but I feel like that's a pretty good overview of from your, your perspective there. So Tanner, folks I want to reach out to you, get more information about what it is you're doing at CoBank. What's the best way to do
2: that? You can check out our research at killbank.com and uh, find knowledge, the Knowledge Exchange tab, and you can uh, read all the stuff that we write at Knowledge Exchange right there. Right on, man.
0: Well, Tanner, I appreciate you being on the podcast. You got the uh, Moving Iron Summit coming up, and you and and uh, one of your fellow uh, co-bankers there are going to be there talking. So, talk a little bit about um, about you and and uh, and the gentleman coming with you.
2: Oh, uh, at the uh, Moving Iron Center, it's going to be myself and uh, uh, Brian Ernest. Uh, Brian's our animal protein analyst, and uh, we're going to have a have a panel discussion, the two of us, and uh, we're going to cover it all. Yeah. If if I don't know it, Brian usually does. So head on.
0: If you don't know it, I'd be surprised. So that that'd Ah, be. Now between the two of us, we'll have a lot to talk. Right. Right on, man. Well, looking forward to that, man. I appreciate uh, appreciate you guys being a part of that and, and appreciate you being on the podcast.
2: Glad to do it. We'll see you in Nashville.
0: Right on, man. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the video version version of this at Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. You can also go to Moving Iron Summit or Moving Iron LLC.com, and you get all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee. I've got about six slots left. So if you're interested in coming to that, check that out. Um, there's a tab up in the upper right corner of the website. Click on that, and that'll give you all the information for the Moving Iron Summit, or you can just send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at podcast.com So with that, I am Casey Senior- Seymour with Tanner Emke. Let's go to iron Folks. Out. Exxon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's IronComps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable salesforce based solution for your dealership create connected customer experience, and transform how you work.
1: Moving higher in the 21st century Hardworking people working hard for you and me Moving higher time and time again Through the years you'll find a seed Moving higher